Um, so Psalm 33, shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song played skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. And next we'll be reading from the first chapter of Colossians. So we're reading Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you've heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it's bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him 
bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the salvation that you have given us in Christ. Lord, we pray as we gather here today, you would speak to us through me. Let my words not be mine, but yours. Please make us receptive to what you would have us learn. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Well, first, before I get started, I'd just say how, how delighted I am to see um, so many people here today. It's lovely. Um, so, well, this morning we'll be turning our attention to the book of Colossians, chapter 1, um, which was read by Sandy. Thank you, Sandy. Um, and we'll be looking um, specifically at verses 3 to 8, um, following on from Kev's sermon um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and the subject of our consideration this morning um, will be uh, what Paul gives thanks for in the Colossians. Um, and so it's no surprise that we'll be looking at uh, the three uh, foundational pillars of the Christian life, uh, faith, love, and hope. Faith, love, and hope. Um, we remember from our last sermon uh, that Paul is writing to a church that he has never met. And Epaphras, uh, who appeared there in verse 7, um, started the Colossian church um, and has brought uh, a report to Paul uh, about the church. Um, now, we don't know the content of that report, uh, but we do know that it includes both good and uh, bad things. It includes good things um, because of what we see Paul giving thanks for. Um, but it also includes bad things. We know that there are a number of uh, heresies and temptations that the Colossian church is uh, vulnerable to. So um, we'll jump into it. Um, before we get started on the three pillars, I'll just say a few words on Paul's thanksgiving, his thanksgiving. Um, we see that in verse three, um, where Paul says, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Um, now, with the exception of one letter, I think, um, this is a pretty standard pattern within Paul's letters. Um, after introducing himself and addressing the church, um, he uh, goes on to share the things that he is thanking God for in these believers. Um, and for most of us, I think this is a part of the letter where we'll usually skip over it. Um, and perhaps not pay as much attention. Um, but it is important to be mindful of what he says here. It reminds us of some very important things. Firstly, um, about how Paul's letters are personal. They're personal. Um, the Apostle Paul is, I think, associated with very, very theological uh, background. 
Um, but he isn't writing a textbook in uh, his Roman prison. Um, he's writing letters to people. And he shows his relationship to that people in the way that he speaks to them. His, his speaking to them is uh, with thanksgiving. Uh, there's a tenderness about it, a love that we can imitate. Secondly, um, we see how frequently he gives thanks for them. See in verse 3 again, we always thank God. Um, you might have experienced this sort of sometime in your Christian life. Maybe you're going through your mailbox and um, reading uh, emails from a, um, or a newsletter from a, a missionary society or some Christian organization that you're supporting. Um, and you uh, read some similar words like uh, two believers baptized in Romania or name the country. And, um, and you can probably remember the feeling of, of happiness that fills your heart, the smile that comes upon your face and, and the urge that you feel to pray. And you usually do pray. But then um, do you pray for them the next day uh, and the day after that? Um, and that's uh, what I think we can pick up here is um, that even with Paul's responsibilities and the weight that he had on his shoulders, um, he didn't forget to pray. He was constant in prayer. We read in Philippians 4 where he says, do not be anxious about anything, uh, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So we see his frequency, his constancy. Um, next, we also see the speed of his, his thankfulness, how quick he is to respond with thanksgiving. Um, we always thank God when we pray for you, and in verse 4, since we heard of your faith. Um, there are a number of commentators who, who pick up that there's a, there's a direct correlation immediately. Um, when, when Paul hears the news of their faith, he's not sluggish to respond in prayer. He's not slow to respond in prayer. He loves these people. He cares for their salvation. It's a matter very close to his heart. And... <clears throat> This is exemplified by the fact that he has never seen them before. Um, he was never there when the first um, seeds of the gospel began to uh, bear fruit in them. Um, he, he never had the opportunity to sit down with them and teach them the gospel or the way of the Lord. Um, he never wrestled, uh, helped them wrestle through temptations and trials. Um, he never wept with them through their suffering. And yet, so great is his concern for the people of God that he is quick to pray. And lastly, um, and this is maybe something that we're tempted to overlook, um, but we see that um, Paul doesn't just focus on their faults. I think that's a beautiful thing too. Um, he's not critical. And um, that can be easy to happen, can it not? Um, at times, it might seem easier to talk about um, the problems we face in church um, rather than the victories of the Holy Spirit amongst us. It can be easier to gossip at length than it can be to give thanks at length. Uh, but what Paul remembered is that while we are a holy people in Christ, based on our standing in him, we have not yet been made perfect. And this side of heaven, 
we will always be sinners. Um, we will always be vulnerable to being led astray. And we will always be in need of a savior. And um, isn't that why uh, Epaphras traveled almost 2,000 kilometers to see Paul, to get his advice? What do I do with this church? We heard in Kev's sermon the serious issues that were facing that church. There was asceticism, mysticism, and a sense of legalism as well. Um, and they were perhaps not only threatening the church from the outside, but also perhaps present already within the church. But the fact that um, a church would struggle with those sorts of things doesn't take Paul by surprise. In fact, what takes him, well, not quite by surprise, but what is more fascinating to him is the fact that these people who were once lost, who, who are sinners, who were once dead in their transgressions, now have faith, hope, and love. That's more um, beautiful to him. So his letter is personal. He gives thanks frequently. He gives thanks quickly and graciously. Now, uh, on to what Paul gives thanks for. Uh, the first is faith. Um, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Now, uh, what that might sound like is uh, that Paul is saying that he's thankful that they've um, put their faith in Christ to save them. And um, that is certainly something that he would be thankful for. Um, but it actually means something more than just putting their faith in Christ. Um, I've got a bit of help with this, um, but I'll do my best to explain it. Um, the Greek preposition used in that phrase um, is not the usual preposition that uses uh, that is used um, of Christ as the object of saving faith. Um, in other words, uh, it's not just about coming to faith. Um, the preposition is actually the same one as is used in verse two, uh, where Paul writes to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Um, that is the faithful brothers who are in union with Christ, who are part of the body of Christ. Um, so this is not describing um, the faith as it is when, when it first reaches out to Christ um, to be saved. This is describing um, the faith that is already laid hold of Christ and is now tethered to him. Um, so this is a, a, about a living of a life that is tethered to Christ, um, not just having that life. Um, it is an outworking of the saving faith that they already have. And actually, if we turn to 1 Thessalonians 1, chapter uh, verse 3, sorry, um, we see the same fruit um, described in Paul's opening remarks, and here it's referred to as a work of faith. Uh, so the faith that he's referring to is what is put into action. Um, and evidently, um, Paul is saying that what he's heard in the report from Epaphras has made it clear that their faith was genuine and that it was being put into action. Paul didn't need to look into the future to see who was saved and who was not. He didn't need to hear a special voice from heaven. The evidence was there in the report. It was real. It was tangible. There was 
proof that likely even the church outside could see, uh, people outside the church could see. Um, and so what we should remember, first of all, is that God looks for more than just a profession of faith, more than just a coming to faith by words. Professions of faith are easy. They're cheap and they cost nothing. You can be sure that in the day of judgment, they'll be burnt up. But false teachers, um, goats, and even Satan himself has, have the ability to profess faith in Christ. Um, but none of them end up in heaven. They can say they believe it, but it doesn't mean that they do. And so um, what does the faith, the life of faith, sorry, look like? What does it look like in practice? Uh, there's two things that we can think about that there'll certainly be more um, that we can meditate on. But the first is a submission to Christ and his word, a submission to Christ and his word. Actually reading through um, when Sandy was reading the um, Colossians reading just before, I picked up in verse nine. Um, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray from you for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Pleasing to him. Um, this is a, a submission in everything that we do, um, aimed to obey and please him. And consequently, that means that in all manners of life, um, we should be... Um, giving the final authority to the scriptures so that in, in all matters of life, um, we obey God's word. Uh, we'll see in chapter two of Colossians, verse six, Paul says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. And um, what I'd highlight there is Christ Jesus, the Lord. We receive Jesus, not just as savior, but as Lord. And uh, in Proverbs 15, verse 3, it says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the good and the evil. And so a question, how often do we forget that at every moment Christ's eyes are upon us? And um, how often um, do we think about um, the the negative implications of displeasing him. Does that burden us? Um, not in a, in a bad sense, but, but is that something that we seek to avoid? Is it, does it bother us? We want to live by faith. We want to experience union with him. Uh, he is already in us and we are in him, as uh, Jesus says. Um, so do we take pains to avoid displeasing him um, because what would have been the most one of the most notable things i think about the colossian christians um, is their willingness to stand on the bible um, amidst a world of, of sin and evil um, and say unashamedly no to this no to that i won't have this and no more of this they were unashamed to say no based on god's word and it was God's word alone that guided them there. 
Um, and this is something that the world around us will not understand. Um, it will tell you, if you want this, take this. Um, as Warren was saying before, live the pride. You do what you want to do. Um, but Christ cares. Uh, he cares about how we spend our time. He cares about whether we go to church. Um, and even the little things, how we dress, how we, how we spend time with um, unbelieving neighbours, how we eat, what we say, whatever area of life it is, even if it's small, um, it, it says something about our hearts, the way that we, that we live in that moment. And it's, um, it also says something about the healthiness of our faith, how we are living by faith. The second thing um, that we ought to be doing to live a life by faith is to seek to know the person of Christ more. So to seek to know, to know the person of Christ more. Um, and Paul mentions this in chapter 3, verse 1, where he says, um, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. If saving faith begins with knowing Christ, then it must also end with knowing Christ. We cannot end our journey in a different way to the way we began it. Um, and this, I think, was a major problem for the Colossians. They were being tempted to finish in a way that was different to the way they started, that there was something more they were being told that they needed to hold on to. And the only thing that we now as believers um, can do to keep our work from being legalistic or empty is to know Christ and to hold on to him. Because how can we live a life of faith when we are out of touch with the object of our faith? So to live a life of faith, we ought to meet daily, reading God's word. We ought to be seeking him daily in prayer, both constant, um, both formal and informal prayer, setting aside time to pray, saying no to good things, um, as Warren mentioned before. And this would have been something that Epaphras mentioned to Paul, I think. Uh, there's this issue in the Colossian church, perhaps this issue as well. I can see this isn't quite right, but they spend time with God. And I can see that. So we should pursue a life of faith by submitting to Christ and his word and by um, spending time to know Christ more. The next fruit um, is love. Uh, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Um, here we have uh, quite a different emphasis. Um, to live a life of faith uh, speaks more of our position uh, with God, our relationship with him. Um, but love speaks of our relationship toward others. Um, and the Bible is full of ex exhortations and commands to love one another. Um, the Colossian believers may have held on to the words of Jesus in uh, John 13, um, where he says, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. And your commandment I give to you, 
that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And then that's resonated in 1 John chapter 3, where John writes, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. And whoever does not love, abide in love. Whoever does not love abides in death, sorry. Um, even though we cannot now be with Christ, with Christ where he is, there is a sign here that proves that one day we will be with him. And Paul understood that, which is why he gives thanks for it. Um, now, someone outside, outside the church might say, yes, that's great. I, I think that's a great idea. We should all love one another, everybody in the world. And that's, that's true. We do have to, and we are commanded, to love all people, to love our neighbor and our enemy. Um, but this is slightly different if you read it again. Um, and the love that you have for all the saints, for all the saints. Um, now, um, if it can be said, uh, I suppose that our love is a fire, it has a heat, there should be um, an especially, um, oh, it should be especially hot towards those who are within the household of faith. We love all people, but especially those in the church. And the reason is this. Because um, we might think, why? Why do we have to love especially those within the church? The reason is that every believer contains a reflection of the grace and love of God and the work of God in salvation that is at work in our hearts. Um, we all share the same Lord. Um, we all share the same problem, the same recognition of that problem, the same faith, the same hope, we share the same future. We'll all be in heaven together. Um, and part of the reason we, we looked at um, Paul's thankfulness is to show us how much he cared um, for the church, for specifically God's people. Um, and that wasn't just because he was an apostle that he loved in that way. It was because he was a Christian, simply. And we're commanded to do the same. He shared these things with the believers, um, and he especially loved the reflection of Christ in them. Um, now, showing love definitely isn't easy, and I think Paul would, um, would agree with that. Um, often, we have to be wronged in the process. Um, within the church, there can be disagreements and conflicts within all churches. Um, sometimes there is pain. Sometimes there is no apology. Sometimes there is no um, awareness of a problem or a sin. But if we cannot love each other, those for whom Christ has died, what does that say about our love for Christ? And if we cannot show love in this church, how can we expect to show love to the world? to those outside the church. Matthew Paul um, put the situation like this. Paul joins love to all the saints with faith 
to our Savior, because there can be no real embracing of Christ, which is faith, without loving of him. And there can be no loving of him without a love for all of his members for his sake. So love one another. Make time for one another. Be eager to show hospitality. Treat each other like family. Now, most of you already are family. Um, But um, if we love the believer, regardless of his or her sin or failings, uh, it shows our love for God. And um, we can imagine what that means to him. If we can say that feeding the poor is to feed Christ, how much more is caring for the church, caring for Christ. Uh, So love for all the saints. And finally, Paul gives thanks for their hope, their hope. Verse 5, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Actually, I'll read verse 4 as well to give a fuller picture. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Um, The first thing worth noting there is the because, that the hope is the source of both a life of faith and a love for all the saints. Where hope burns brightly, Um, faith and love spring to life but where hope dwindles faith or love shrivel and die Um, and the degree to which we hold on to our hope determines the degrees of our christian fruit of faith and love so no hope no faith and no love and um, three things on hope that we'll just look at first is the content of our hope. Secondly, the sureness of our hope. And thirdly, persevering in hope. So firstly, the content of hope. We should ask, hope in what? What is the hope? What's the gospel hope? It's, um, it's in verse 5 again. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have, been, you have heard, before in the word of truth the gospel literally the word that is true the gospel Um, so what is the fuel for greater christian maturity it's nothing other than the gospel Um, it is an observance of laws um, or any other temptation that the colossians were experiencing and it is only as we become more firmly grounded in the gospel that we are going to become more like christ Sometimes we're tempted to go beyond the gospel, to go to other things. The gospel seems plain. It seems simple. But we never outgrow our need for it. Um, And so we remember that at one time, having been created to live for God, each of us has chosen to reject him. Because Adam sinned in the beginning, so now we from the day of our birth, have transgressed his holy law. We read in Ephesians 2, that Paul says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having 
no hope and without God in the world. We had no hope, no hope at all. Because the only thing that God can do with sinful people is to throw them into hell. That was my state and it was your state. Um, but thanks be to God that in his grace, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to give us the greatest hope, an unfailing hope. He sent Jesus Christ to take away from us and onto himself all of our sin. He sent Christ to the cross and there he died for us, cancelled the debt of sin and rose that we might have life in his name. He crushed sin and he crushed death. And that is the hope now that we stand in today. That because he is risen, we will have life in him. And if we repent and believe and commit our lives fully to him, we will be with him in heaven. Um, now, we wait for the hope of possessing perfect righteousness. Um, we wait to be carried away to a place of perfect love. Um, possessing a perfect body, um, seeing the face of our Savior. We look forward to the day uh, when we will be seated around the table and giving thanks to God for what he's done for us in Christ. Uh, hope is then the aspect of faith that looks forward to the promises of God on the basis of the finished work of God. And I would say that if any of us do not have that hope, that we must repent and come to God to obtain it because he is willing to give it. Secondly, the sureness of the hope. Um, if this hope were uncertain, um, then I think there would be very little to draw us to it. Um, you can probably sympathize it's quite hard to uh, imagine what heaven will be like um, and not only that but at the same time the word itself tells us that on account of this hope we will have difficult lives um, so this needs to be a hope that we can trust that we can be sure of um, and if we read in verse five that's what we see um, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Um, no, that's it, laid up for you in heaven. Um, the idea here is that of a, like a storing away or a reserving of something for later, um, very much like an inheritance. And um, Peter actually refers to this in chapter one of First Peter, where he writes that we have a hope uh, of an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Um, and it has been kept in heaven for you. God is keeping our hope in heaven for us. And if that is not enough, then we should consider exactly who is keeping our hope, none other than God himself. Um, our hope is not guarded by an angel or a man. Our hope is 
guarded by God. No prince, no chariot can claim our hope from him. He sits enthroned over the world. He treads on the world's high places. He is infinite in power and glory and might, and he also loves you. So no one can take the hope away from us, and he will never take it away from us. He is a covenant-keeping God, and he never breaks a promise. That's why in Romans 5, we read, hope will not put us to shame. Lastly, persevering in hope. So for those of us who have this hope, uh, Paul would seek to remind us of this hope to spur us on to love and faith. Uh, Because none of us could deny, again, that the practice of faith and love is difficult. Uh, In fact, I expect that the better we we do at this, um, the harder things will get. Um, There will be more sacrifice. There will be less free time. There will be... Uh, less freedom, in a sense, more cost, um, more responsibility. And that does not make for a happy life. Well, it does make for a happy life in Christ, um, but not an easy life. Um, There is a reason why only genuine Christian people exhibit these fruits. But we persevere, knowing that the end of Uh, the end result of our hard work far outweighs the hardships of life. Which is why in uh, 2 Timothy, Paul says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me, that sounds familiar, the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. But not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So we should ask ourselves this morning, do we love his appearing? Do you find yourself this morning in anticipation for the hope that you have in heaven? Are you eagerly awaiting for it? We should gauge that by the amount of time that we spend thinking about it. The amount of time that we spend doing things related to it. Or alternatively, we should ask ourselves, are we seeking to obtain in this life what God has already purchased for us in the next life? What we have already been given. Is your life poured out like Paul? Or would it be better said, that we are robbing God of the service we owe to him. Um, John Calvin writes a few words um, about the direction that our hearts should take. He says, For the gospel does not confine the hearts of men to the enjoyment of the present life, but raises them to hope of immortality. It does not fix them down to earthly delights, but announcing that there is treasure laid up in heaven carries the heart there also. We must be turning our eyes off the world. I think in, we read chapter 3, verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things which are above, 
where Christ is. Set your minds on things that are above, not things that are on the earth. And we must try to rid ourselves of the things that distract us from our hope. So we have hope, hope in the gospel, a hope that is certain or sure, and a hope that will find us persevering. And to close, it is worth thinking about what the report would be if Epaphras were to be the elder of our church, if he had to give a report to Paul, what would be the things that he say, that he'd say? And if Paul were to hear the report, what would be the things that he would give thanks for? Would he give thanks for our love? I hope so. Would he give thanks for our faith? Nothing implied, just a question. Um, to conclude as well, I would just say one thing. Um, as Paul gives his opening remarks here and shows what he finds praiseworthy, uh, it's important to note the complete absence of anything other than what is directly related to Christ. So we have faith, hope, and love. Faith in Christ Jesus and a life that is in union with Christ Jesus. Love for the saints of Christ Jesus, the body of Christ, and therefore Christ himself, and a hope to inherit the riches of Christ Jesus. These three things, foundational to the Christian life, don't go beyond Christ, don't go beyond the gospel. So I encourage you this morning, as uh, you reflect on these things, your faith, your hope and love that we should go to him for the answers that we should seek more of him to please him to know him and to fix our eyes upon him let's pray our heavenly father we thank you for giving us all that we need in christ jesus uh, lord i pray that you would open our eyes to see ourselves what is our faith, our love and hope like? Lord, may we please grow to have a greater sense of hope and expectation for the things that we will look for in heaven. Our souls wait for you, O Lord, for you are our help and our shield. Our heart is glad in you because we rejoice and trust in your holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us now, even as we hope in you.